Hear the word of God from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 20. These readings come from the Common English Bible. You can find these readings on page 951 and 933 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourself with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love, and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body, one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we all were given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like he wanted. If all were one and the same body part, what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts but one body. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Let's be honest, by the time we get to that line in the creed, we know it's almost over and we can't wait to sit down. That line, after all, is the beginning of the final stretch of the creed. It's that kind of machine gun bullet point section where we talk about the church and communion and saints and forgiveness and sins and resurrection, eternal life, and then... We can finally sit down. Which is all to say that by the time we say that line, we don't really pay attention to what it means. Or worse, you know, if we actually took the time to see what those words are and figure out what those words mean, we would wonder what in the world we're talking about. What do those words mean? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And then there's the biggest question of all. Why does it matter to say that line? Maybe the biggest question is, why should a person even be a part of a church? Why should you? Why should I be a part of the church? I think that is the biggest question of the morning. But before we get there, I'd like to point something out. I'd like to suggest to you that the most important part of the phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, is not the words holy, or Catholic, or even church. 
In fact, the most important part of that sentence is not even a word at all. It's the breath that you take before you say that sentence. It's that split second that separates everything that you had said prior in the creed and everything that you will say afterwards. What I mean by that is that up until now in the creed, and up until now in this worship series on the creed, we have been saying things about God, right? The Trinity. I believe in God the Father. That was week one. I believe in Jesus, his Son. That was week two. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That was last week. All along the way, we have been saying words about God, which is to say that we have been looking at God with an objective distance, just like people standing on the earth, looking up into the sky, studying the heavens like stargazers. We've had an objective distance saying things about God. But then, all of a sudden, that changes in a split second. In that brief moment of time, after you say the words, I believe in the Holy Spirit, there is a tiny little window that all of a sudden becomes our entry point into the creed. Because when you say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we are no longer spectators of God. We are participants in the life of God. We are characters in the story. And as it turns out, in that split second, you become part of the Apostles' Creed. Because the moment you say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, you are talking about you. And you are talking about me. And you're talking about people that you have never met before. And you're talking about a multitude of people who were here long before you were born and a multitude of people who will be here after we are gone. And you are even talking about people with whom you disagree. It means every single person. That, that's what the word Catholic means after all, right? It means universal. It means every single person, past, present, and future, who have been saved by God and swept into the grand narrative of God's salvation for the world. It means all of us. So starting at this moment in the creed, welcome to the story. Welcome to your entry point into the creed. Which makes it all the more puzzling, really, to think about the words in that line, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church. What does it mean? To believe in a holy Catholic church. I mean, just that first word alone, holy, that's enough to trip us up, right? What does it mean to say holy? If it, does it mean that the people in the church are holy? <laughs> right. I don't know why I looked at the choir just now. That's, <laughs> so. By the way, doesn't it look like they're being held hostage on some deserted island right now? <laughs> That's holiness right there. No, 
doesn't mean that the people of the church are always holy? Does it, does it mean that the church has always done holy things? Holy hell no. <laughs> That's not in the manuscript either. We very well know that the history of the church is littered with examples of times when the church has not only gotten it wrong, the church has caused harm and done destructive things in the world. The church, by many standards, has done far from holy work. Except for this. When John Wesley preached a sermon on that same Ephesians text that Gray read for us moments ago, he answered the rhetorical question, what does it mean to say the holy church? He answered the question, why is the church holy? You want to hear his answer? And I'm quoting because the church is holy. That's his answer. <laughs> Gotta love the logic of John Wesley. Why is the church holy? Because it is holy, he said. And this is what he meant. It's holy because God created it holy. In other words, this kind of holiness does not come from how perfect you are. And it does not come from how faultless the church has been. God has called the church. And God has set it apart from the world. That's what holiness means. To set it apart from the world for a holy purpose. Holiness comes from God. And God has created the church for holy work. Which means... That when you participate in the holy work of the church, you are participating in holiness. John Wesley said there is no holiness apart from social holiness. Which means that if you want to participate in the holiness of God, you can't do it alone. You must do it in the church. And that means that you participate in holiness when the church is at its best, when you, when you seek justice for the oppressed, when you strive for peace, when you promote equality, when you do the hard work of forgiveness, when you work to reconcile racial divisions, when you call for a sensible end to gun violence in our schools and in our communities, when you protect our planet from environmental abuse, when you declare and preserve the sacredness of every human life from its beginning to its end. And as Sally prayed moments ago, when you work to reunite children who have been separated at the border. That's what we pray for. We continue to pray for the quick reunification of those children with their families. I said more about this in my midweek message email this past week. If you'd like to read it, it's online. Holiness is not about how perfect we are or about how faultless the church is. Holiness is about a perfect God who has consecrated the church to do a holy work and we get to be a part of it. But if you thought holy was a tough word to figure out, it doesn't get any easier with the second word, Catholic or universal, Let's just face it, we are not 
very good at uniting ourselves nowadays. Our default mode is tribalism, right? Not unity. We read these words from Ephesians 4, our text today, about preserving unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. And we say, yeah, yeah, right, we can't do that now. Or we hear this business about one God, one spirit, one church, one faith, and we say to ourselves, that, that is a lot easier said and done. Not when there are red Christians and blue Christians who are divided in this partisan climate. Not when there are profound differences in our denomination about same-sex marriage and gay ordination. Not when there are so many things that pull us apart as a church and as a country. It's hard to think of ourselves as holy, but it's even harder to think of ourselves as one. Catholic Universal Church. So maybe, maybe the most important word in that sentence is the last one church. In that very same sermon on Ephesians chapter 4, John Wesley defines what the word church means. This is what he said. Here then is a clear, unexceptionable answer to that question, what is the church? He says, the Catholic or universal church is all the persons in the universe whom God hath, and here's the holiness language, whom God hath so called out of the world as to entitle them to the character of being one body, united by one spirit, having one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in them all. You want to know Wesley's definition of a church? Here it is. To any of us who might struggle with the word holy or the word universal when it comes to the church, this is Wesley's definition. Holiness is a gift from God, and oneness is also a gift from God. And you cannot achieve either of those things on your own. You will fail if you try. So the best way to receive God's gift of oneness and God's gift of holiness is to be a part of the church. The best and purest way for us to overcome both our unholy tendencies and our addiction to tribalism is to be part of the church. That person on Facebook who believes in Jesus but disagrees with you on politics, he's in the church too. And because you are in the church together, you can seek holiness together. And you can even find the holiness of God in one another. You know that family member that you fight with whenever the subject of gun violence or homosexuality or welfare reform or health care comes up? That person's in the church too. And because you are in the church together, you can seek holiness together. And you can find the holiness of God in one another.
all those people who believe in Jesus but voted for the other candidate, they're in the church too. And because they're in the church together, you can seek holiness together and find it in each other. That's what this Ephesians 4 text is all about. It is littered with phrase after phrase to talk about the holiness and oneness of God revealed in the church. Phrases like living in humility and patience. Choosing to bear with one another in love. Choosing to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Choosing to remember that all of us are under one God, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. That is what it means to be holy and Catholic, and that is what it means to be the church. For the past two weeks, and for one more Wednesday, we've been doing the work of the church in our point-of-view conversations at the portico. These conversations are designed to foster empathy and understanding and healthy dialogue about the issue of LGBTQ inclusion. There have been people who represent the full spectrum of the debate there. And there have even been people on opposite ends of the debate, not only sitting at the same round table, but in some cases sitting right next to each other talking to each other, with each other, listening face to face. But each night, in a room full of over a hundred people, civility and hope and understanding have prevailed. That is what it means to believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and that is what it means to be part of the story. You know, when you think about it, the church of God is really a miracle. Because somehow, through ages of cultural conflict and division, the Spirit of God has found a way to weave together a diversity of people from all walks of life, fashioning together a united, unified church, despite its differences. That's a miracle. So the best answer that I can give to the question, why be a part of the church, is pretty simple. In the purest and most biblical sense, the church is the opposite of tribalism. If tribalism is an artificial construct that pits us against each other based on ethnicity or political division or gender identity or socioeconomic status, then God has given us the best and only and most perfect antidote to all of that tribalism, the church. To be part of a church is to be part of something that Paul talked about in Corinthians. Not something that is hierarchical or divisive, but a body in which all people are important equally in which everyone has a role, in which all of us are equally under the love and rule of God revealed in Jesus. That is our story. There's a classic sermon illustration that is told of a, a certain member of a church who, despite having gone to that church regularly over the years, stopped coming to worship for several weeks and months in a row, 
After a long period of time, the pastor decided one day to pay him a visit. Just a cold call out of the blue, visiting him at his home. You might like the fact that I don't do that with you all. <laughs> it was a particularly chilly evening, and so the pastor came into the house to find the man sitting at his chair in the living room right next to a fireplace. The man immediately knew why the pastor had come to visit him. So he was bracing himself for the scathing lecture that the pastor was sure to give him. The man motioned the pastor in and indicated an empty chair right across from him, also next to the fireplace. The man braced for the pastor's words, but as the pastor sat down in the chair, he didn't say a single word. It was just nothing but cold, grave silence. The man and the pastor found themselves just staring at the fire, contemplating the burning flame inside the fireplace. After some moments, uh, the pastor picked up some fire tongs that were there and and carefully picked up a brightly burning ember right from the heart of the flame. He picked it up and put it in a different part of the hearth, separate from the flame, all alone. And as that lone ember's flame diminished, the, the man just watched that lowly ember get colder and colder. And then when, with one final moment the last exasperated glow of that ember went cold and it went dark dead as a doornail the pastor still did not say a word instead he started to get up out of his chair but before he left the house he reached for those fiery tongs once again picked up that cold ember and placed it back into the heart of the fire and the man immediately watched that cold ember spark to life again as the warmth and heat and energy of the entire community of embers engulfed it once again to reveal its light and radiant heat. The pastor put the fire tongs down and headed for the door. But before he exited, as he reached out to the door handle, the man said the only words that would be spoken in that whole visit. He said to the pastor, thank you so much for your visit and especially for the fiery sermon. I'll be back in church on Sunday. Do you want to participate in the holy work of God? You can't do it alone. Do you want to overcome tribalism and division that is run rampant in our culture? You can't do it alone either. There is only one way to do it. To not only believe in the holy Catholic Church, but to enter its story. And to model for the world what holiness and oneness can look like when we all affirm for each other that we are all children of God. That's our story.
a part of it. As we close our sermon today, we will close it the way we have finished all of these sermons in this current worship series, by standing to recite together the words of this affirmation of faith. But this time, as you say the Apostles' Creed, I invite you to not only think about the words we have covered so far, but in that split second between I believe in the Holy Spirit and I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, affirm for yourself your part in the Creed and your invitation to God's story. Let us celebrate together our diversity and claim our unity and commit ourselves to participate in the holiness of God in all that we do. So I invite you to stand and join together with our attention on the screen as we affirm our faith together. Church, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. And now that we have committed ourselves to that story of God's sal salvific work in the world, we pledge ourselves to be holy and one together as we offer our commitments to God, expressed in the form of our tithes and our offerings and our prayer cards as we do the work of holiness together. We invite the ushers to come forward.